Hey everyone, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this, of course, is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. So wow, what a week. Uh, things are getting pretty crazy. We're still in the midst of a pandemic, and if that wasn't enough, uh, we've also got race riots, nationwide protests, the President of the United States waging a war against Twitter... Uh, the whole shithouse is going up in flames, to uh, paraphrase Jim Morrison. Listen, man, listen, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna get my kicks before the whole shithouse goes up in flames. Something like that. I think it was from one of their live recordings. Anyway, I was debating just how I should approach this episode. I do plan on offering my thoughts on the death of George Floyd, and that's such a heavy topic... I was considering just dedicating the entire episode to that, but I did also have some listener-slash-viewer feedback I wanted to respond to, so maybe I'll just try to quickly get through that feedback and then move on to the main topic. And so, someone left a reply in the YouTube comment section for that episode I did last week regarding Trump deeming houses of worship as quote-unquote essential, Near the end of the episode, I was talking about the efficacy of prayer, or more specifically, the lack of efficacy, and the person touches on that in their comment. But I thought it was very insightful and well-worded, and so much so that I felt compelled to read it on the show. So here it is. And so it starts along the lines of, why won't God heal amputees? And that's a reference to uh, this anecdote I often bring up when talking about prayer. Uh, you know, I happen to be watching a Richard Dawkins documentary, probably one of those television series that he does for, you know, uh, the BBC or whatever. And so, yeah, he was at Lord or Lords or however you pronounce it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure. You know, this famous uh, kind of French pilgrimage site. And he said something that just, it was so great and concise and just quickly cut to the heart of the matter. He basically brought up the point that, you know, prayer only seems to work for things that might have gotten better on their own anyway. You never see it achieve anything truly miraculous like the regeneration of a severed limb. And I have the feeling that he was kind of quoting or paraphrasing someone else, but nevertheless, just a great point. And it really um, shines a light on the fact that, you know, most likely prayer is just people engaging in the suspension of disbelief, but it doesn't actually, I mean, I know this probably sounds harsh. It really doesn't achieve anything, you know, aside from, and I offered this caveat last week too, that like meditation, uh, you know, it might have minor health benefits, lowering stress, blood pressure. Uh, it might have mental and emotional benefits. Just, you know, it makes you feel good to be wishing someone else well in your head or whatever. And if you're on the receive, you know, the receiving end of prayer uh, and you know it, it might make you feel good to know that someone else was thinking about you. You know what I mean? Um, but it doesn't really, as far as I can see, physically achieve anything. Uh, there's nothing miraculous or supernatural uh, going on, you know what I mean? You can pray all day and you're not going to pray a severed limb back or pray a loved one back from the dead 
or make a pandemic magically go away. You know what I mean? And speaking of that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that crazy televangelist, uh, Kenneth Copeland. Just bad shit crazy. And uh, yeah, I know these are ad homs. Uh, I think I ex- do a good enough job of explaining myself and my positions that, you know, I, I, I can indulge. Let me indulge in a little ad hominem <laughs> attack here and there. But yeah, just a really sinister looking guy. He always has this kind of crazed, demonic, you know, grin plastered across his face. He looks like one of those, you know, really old dudes that um, are so vain they don't want to age gracefully. So they put like shoe polish in their hair and do all this weird stuff to try to look young. And there just ends up being this kind of weird, you know, freaky, uncanny valley uh, and result. Uh, But yeah, he famously not long ago, you know, tried to pray away COVID-19 on his show. And uh, someone made this awesome remix and I'll actually play it, but it's just my Blue Yeti mic picking up the audio from my computer. So forgive the uh, sound quality. Actually, hold on. I just tested the playback quality and it sounds absolutely horrible with my mic trying to pick up the uh, external audio. So I just quickly download it, and now I'll play it the right way. Okay. COVID-19! COVID-19! Especially right at the end there, that that really takes me back to my old clubbing days. Someone give me some MDMA. Just kidding. For some reason, uh, antidepressants tend to interfere with the efficacy, efficacy word of the day, of uh, of MDMA or ecstasy. Uh, Very strange. They both work on serotonin, but different mechanisms. Anyway, let me continue reading this feedback. About a year ago or so, do you remember the story of the Christian couple? Looks like Heil Ligenthal. Heil Ligenthal. I don't know. Is that kind of like Bigenthal? Ligenthal was their name. Who tra- <laughs> And I'm not laughing at this. I'm laughing at my own inability to pronounce the name. Who tragically lost their two-year-old and decided to pray for her resurrection. Uh, actually, I, I don't remember this. Um, man, even most Christians knew it was not, quote-unquote, normal to pray for something like that. I was thinking, but why? Doesn't the Bible even say that's a perfectly reasonable thing to pray for? And along the same reasons people never say, I'll pray that your leg grows back. They know deep down their beliefs are wishful thinking. People will say all the time, I pray that God heals your spinal cord injury, something you can't see and they don't understand. But a limb or even their pinky toe growing back, no, they know that's not going to happen. Churches opening, don't get me started on how this country is doing this all wrong. Hardly anyone where I live is wearing masks. Only the smart people are, I guess. 
and they're flocking to bars and restaurants. It's only a matter of time before this blows up again. And the ironic thing is they claim to care about the economy as one of the main reasons they opened. And masks are shown to greatly reduce the spread if we all wore one. So it'd be great for the economy to wear them. But they're worried about their supposed rights. But they don't have the right to walk in exposing their genitals or even go shirtless or shoeless in public spaces. What is the difference? In fact, even more contagious pathogen in the middle of a pandemic. More important than wearing shoes. So yeah, thank you for that feedback. I always love hearing from listeners, you know, and it's good to know that people are actually listening or, you know, watching the YouTube versions. And there was a, a kind of negative or critical comment in the comment section of this episode as well. But I can't see it now. I don't know if the person took it down or if there's just something uh, glitchy going on here. You know what I mean? But I can't see it right now. But I did um, take a screenshot of it. And I know I shared it on the, face the Weekend Out Facebook page. And I also uh, shared it uh, via Twitter. So yeah, it's a good thing I took that screenshot because I'm able to see it here on the Weekend Out Facebook page. And it's funny, uh, a couple of listeners, uh, I think Crocoduck and a uh, uh, good friend and listener Russ Ray, both joked about how it looked like I was in trouble with Jesus because the, per the person's name is Jesus Garcia. Um, but yeah, so they said, I guess I was wrong for expecting thoughtful exposition. Instead, I hear nothing but ad homs from a typical abrasive atheist. And so, yeah, the interesting thing is he seems to be accusing me of doing what he himself is doing within this single sentence. Uh, he, he basically, you know, just writes me off as being abrasive and, you know, he was wrong to expect any kind of thoughtful exposition in his words from me. But he doesn't offer any substantive feedback on, you know, why my perspective was wrong or, you know, why my conclusions were wrong. Because what? That was like a, maybe a roughly 17 minute long episode. And if I was to isolate the moments in that episode where, you know, maybe I kind of take a cheap shot or, you know, I, I poke fun of people or whatever, it would probably be like 10 seconds out of a 17 minute um, episode. And I think, you know, it's no secret that I don't like Donald Trump, to put it mildly. And I think I do start that episode by taking a couple of you know, jabs at Trump. And admittedly, these weren't meant to be substantive attacks. These were just me having fun, taking a couple of petty little swipes at Trump. And I prefaced it by saying, you know, I misspeak a lot too. Uh, this is just me having fun, you know. Uh, I think I made fun of the fact that he kept saying synagogue singular instead of synagogues. Um, and I also made fun of this kind of long pause in the middle of his comments and, uh, you know, wondering if that was for dramatic purposes or if it was just his brain kind of, you know, farting out on him again or whatever. And I can't believe I just used the word fart. It's weird. You know, I'm a laid back guy with an inappropriate sense of humor. But for some reason to me, fart was always the F word. 
you know, not the not the other F word. <laughs> just just because the idea of farts always gross me out. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is, but <laughs> but there I go. Um, I mean, would he uh, be happy if I made fun of Joe Biden's cognitive decline as well? You know, <laughs> I, I'm admittedly very left leaning uh, as far as my personal principles and, you know, my personal ideology or whatever. But I'm not some partisan hack. I'll uh, I'll be more than happy to criticize, you know, windbags on the left or whatever, or bad policies on the left. Uh, and just on a recent Patreon episode, I was kind of lamenting the fact that, um, you know, or sardonically joking, how it looks like this election is going to be these two old senile uh, guys kind of battling it out. And like I said on the on the Patreon bonus episode, I'm not trying to be ageist because there's plenty of people who are really up there in years who are still very sharp and insightful, etc. But uh, Trump and Biden aren't, you know, prime examples of that, you know. And they're both really incredibly thin-skinned. You can see how Biden kind of uh, gets his, his back up when... He's kind of con even like mildly confronted in interviews. Like when, when it was uh, was that YouTuber Charlemagne the God who just made some comment in passing about how he still had questions and Biden said something about, uh, well, if you don't know my policies by now, then you're not black. Or I'm paraphrasing, but it was something equally as bad as that. And then you have Trump basically waging war on Twitter because someone dared to attach a fact-checking link to his fucking tweet. It's so fuck. Oh, I'm losing it. I'm getting pissed off. Humans are fucking pissing me off. And I know Twitter can be important in the sense like there's some places in the world where people are living under oppressive regimes and uh, Twitter, uh, you know, allows them a kind of outlet, uh, things like that. But me personally, I don't give a flying fuck about Twitter. You know when I use Twitter? To publish the latest link to one of my podcasts. I don't sit on it all fucking day and try to uh, troll the next guy or prove that my ideology is better than the other person's ideology. You know what I mean? And so they took away... They didn't even. I was going to say they took away Trump's favorite toy. They didn't take it away. They attached... A fact check link. And I know you could say, well, who's going to fact check the fact checkers? You know what I mean? And that is an important question. Where does the fact check link re, uh, lead? And can, can that source be trusted? That's a very valid uh, question or concern. But to me, I think every world leader should be fact checked. I think every important person with a big enough bully pulpit should be fact-checked. All these big influencers, whoever. Hell, if you want to find some a algorithm that attaches fact-check links to even, you know, someone with 30 uh, Twitter followers, that would be fine with me too because the truth actually matters. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry that I'm so pissed in that I've been dropping F-bombs and all this because I know people used to 
express how grateful they were when I first started this podcast, that I was respectful, that I held back from cursing. And if you're a longtime listener, I'm seriously apologetic. You know, I apologize for this. And I don't even know if I'm going to leave this stuff in this episode. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But I don't know, the world's just crazy, man. I mean, our leaders are fucked up. Everyone's so tribalistic. Everything's fucked up. And so it's funny, when I first learned that uh, you know, Trump was so pissed off because Twitter dared to, you know, fact check him or whatever, that he had decided to sign an executive order targeting social media. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, really? And so that's how I post. I posted a link to the Weekend Out Facebook page, and all I wrote was, really? Exclamation mark, question mark. You know what I mean? And then someone, um, and I'm not trying to single him out or target him or anything like that, because uh, he actually ended up being a good guy, and we had, uh, a, you know, we had a civil interaction. But this dude, um, I don't know if he likes the Facebook page for the show. or Because I notice, I, I don't know how to do it, but I know there's a way to follow a page without liking it. Because I have a lot of, um, you know, listeners that I, I would, yeah, I would even call them friends. You know, listeners that I interact with regularly. And I know that they don't have the Weekend Out Facebook page liked up or whatever, you know, but they can still view all my posts. And my guess is, you know, they don't want um, friends and family employers to see their Facebook feeds, you know, filled with like atheistic or controversial stuff. You know what I mean? So I know there's a way to do that. So I don't know if he likes my page and he was drawn to it because he likes my content or if he just kind of follows it is it because maybe he doesn't dis maybe he disagrees with me on some things or I, I have no idea but so I posted uh, a link to an article about Trump's executive order you know taking on social media and he replied which bit is it that you disagree with happy to discuss and already I'm like uh-oh I'm getting ready for a big feud you know what I mean because even though it was worded in a very friendly way. There was something kind of ominous. You know, you can tell that uh, <laughs> he must not have liked my kind of catty one word, <laughs> you know, uh, reaction to this story. So automatically I'm thinking this is a pro-Trump dude who uh, thinks that this is um, a good move on Trump's part. You know what I mean? And despite how heated I was getting earlier, you know, usually my kind of default mode is, you know, I'm a laid back guy who, if I am going to engage someone who has an opposing worldview, I'll try to do so in a civil and rational way, you know, and there's a few reasons why I take this approach. One is because, you know, it's simply kind of my default setting. Once again, despite how, you know, hot under the collar I was getting earlier. Um, yeah, it's kind of, by default, I'm kind of a laid back guy who would rather be civil. And, uh, 
you know, try to win the day using my reason and the soundness of my arguments instead of getting into a shouting match or a game of one-upsmanship, you know what I mean? But there is also a strategic reason for, you know, taking the nice guy approach. Uh, because I find if, you know, you're going to engage someone who has a worldview that's diametrically opposed to your own, you know, or they feel very differently than you about a, a certain issue like uh, like me and this thing where with uh, Trump signing an executive order <laughs> against, you know, social media, um, you can kind of diffuse the situation by taking the more calm and mild-mannered approach. You know, if you just go in with guns blazing, like, oh, you're my enemy and my prime objective is to take you down, you know what I mean, bury you, um, then you just got to end up butting heads and the argument and the, you know, the arguing and the animosity is just going to keep going back and forth. And you probably will just both end up looking like a couple of bitter hotheads instead of, you know, reason winning the day or whatever. And I find that if I approach the person respectfully and just try to lay out my argument in a in a kind of logical and really well-reasoned way, they're probably going to be more open to conceding to a certain point or to try to admit that they can see the merits of my argument or whatever. And so I think in a way, uh, this person, Russ Gabriel, Gabriel, may have been using my own jujitsu against me, whatever, you know what I mean? Because that's, he just calmly, you know, opened the floor for a discussion. Uh, he didn't go for the throat. He didn't name call. He didn't try to say, you know, you suck or you're a beta male because you don't like Trump or something. You know, he's like, well, tell me where you disagree. You know what I mean? And so it was at this point where I'm like, all right, I want to just calmly lay out where I'm coming from and uh, just try to offer a really well-reasoned explanation, you know? And so this was my response to, uh, to Ru not Russ Ray. Russ Ray is a, a good friend and listener and we're simpatico on a great many things, including uh, animals, animal rights, etc. Um, the, the only place where we disagree is uh, I'm a Doors fanatic and Russ doesn't like the Doors. But every, on every other <laughs> level or whatever, I think we're, we're pretty much simpatico. Um, but anyway, so this is how I responded to Russ uh, Gabriel or Gabriel. As far as I can tell, this all stems from Twitter labeling a couple of Trump's tweets as quote-unquote potentially misleading and attaching a fact-check link. An executive order seems a bit overboard. As far as I'm aware, they didn't delete his tweets. They just tried to alert people that his statements may not be entirely factual. It might seem unfair that they specifically targeted Trump. And personally, I'd be for more fact-checking across the board. But he is the president, and his words carry a lot of weight. I think he has a responsibility to speak as truthfully and factually as possible. As far as I can tell, his concern over potential voter fraud regarding mail-in ballots is overblown and stems from a fear that he might lose re-election. And so here's Russ's reply. 
Hi, I can see why you think that, because that's how the media reported. But this whole thing goes back to right at the start of Trump's presidency. There were a lot of YouTubers who were constantly having their videos demonetized or their channels deleted. It seemed to be largely conservative or right-leaning commentators that this was happening to. Trump has been under a bit of pressure to do something about this since the start. He has many times stated that he is looking into it, but as yet has frustrated many content creators by not doing anything except talk about it. Now he appears to finally be addressing the issue. I agree with you that the timing of his actions coincide with the election run-up, and I'm also fairly convinced that that is a factor as to why he's finally doing something about it now. Apart from Trump's own obvious reasons for wanting to act, there are legitimate concerns why it's grossly unjust and dangerous that hugely powerful platforms are silencing some voices and not others, and basically policing the opinions that people are allowed to hear. On top of this, they claim to be politically unbiased despite having several obvious political biases written into their terms of service. Tim Pool pointed out a blatant one when he ha when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast. There you go. I, I can read a while back with Jack Dorsey of Twitter. See link below. Oh yeah, so he embedded a link and I recognized it right away. Um, and I said, "Hi Russ, thank you for being so thoughtful and civil. Much appreciated." I've seen that episode. I'm a longtime Rogan fan. As someone who posts content on YouTube, it's a nightmare. I, along with many others, had my entire channel demonetized a year or so ago. I believe they sardonically referred to it as the quote-unquote adpocalypse. In my case, I don't think it was due to my politics, but it was enough to make me sympathize for other creators who were also being hit. And to be honest, I was kind of trying to be extra civil there, you know what I mean? And kind of bring the, uh, I was going to say this interaction to an end. Not that I disliked conversing with Russ, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel. I actually, um, thought it was a pretty pleasant exchange and I was relieved that we were able to have a civil exchange and then, and that it didn't turn into some, you know, one-upsmanship type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could have said things that would have, you know, got the debate, if you can call it a debate, you know, could have kept it going. But I decided to just kind of bring things to a close. So I, I didn't go into my feelings on Tim Pool and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I'm joking a little here, but, uh, you know, I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm biased because I always sound like I just woke up that m maybe I have this bias against people who speak too quickly. I think people like Tim Pool, uh, that YouTuber, Twitch debater, Destiny, uh, Ben Shapiro, you, you know, these people who sound like chipmunks on trucker speed. I'm always suspicious that they're trying to, you know, speak really fast so they can try to get some bullshit by me. But, but yeah, Tim Pool, I don't know, you know, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, scientific or, you know, logical to judge people, you know, with your gut. But I think it's sometimes part of being human that we t tend to make these kind of gut, you know, inst instinctual judgments. Um, 
Yeah, there's something about Tim Pool that makes my bullshit radar go off, you know what I mean? And uh, wasn't he hawking these kind of Jim Baker-style survival buckets on his channel and all this horse shit? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I remember watching um, that whole thing, because that was kind of a big deal. I think initially... Joe Rogan just had Tim Pool on alone, and they were talking about, uh, you know, political correctness, uh, people getting kicked off of social media platforms, that kind of thing. And uh, Twitter was a big focus. And so Rogan arranged it that Tim Pool would come back on along with Jack Dorsey. And I believe during that uh, appearance, Dorsey also came on with uh, one of Twitter's lawyers. And so, you see, I'll try to be fair here. Uh, I, I imagine there's probably a lot of things that me and Jack Dorsey would agree on because I think we both uh, admittedly lean left. But something about Dorsey, too, I don't completely trust him. He got them dead robot eyes like Mark Zuckerberg. What's going on behind those dead eyes? I don't know. The hell's wrong with me? Uh, I do have to admit, though, I do have a fantasy about Tim Pool. Don't worry, it's not sexual. I sometimes fantasize that Tim Pool slips into a bog, drowns. The tannins start working on his body and turn him into one of those those bog people, those bog mummies. And then thousands of years in the future, and then thousands of years in the future, some archaeologists find him, take a look at his wizened husk and wonder why the hell there's a beanie fused to the head. Baffled, one says, a ceremonial cap, perhaps. It's my dream. It's my nightmare. Oh, I'm starting to worry for my own sanity. Rare form tonight. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, I do admit, in fairness, how can I continue to try to pretend everything's normal after that? I do uh, admit, in fairness to Russ Gabriel, or Gabriel, uh, that I was going to say tomato, tomato, but he's a person. I'm sure there's a specific pronunciation for his last name. A anyway, uh, yeah, I think it is fair to say that a lot of, you know, the people in power, or, you know, of these uh, these big social media platforms, they do tend to lean, to lean left. I, I think that is right. Left, right. Uh, you know what I mean. Correct. But uh, anyway, I decided in the spirit of fairness and, uh, you know, curiosity to take a look at some of the notable suspensions from uh, from Twitter. So this is really interesting. So here it starts off with uh, 2011 through two, 2015. Courtney Love. Wow. What was she suspended for? Account suspended after Love filed a defamation suit against Twitter. Love now uses a new account. That's I I, I didn't know anything about that. Well, it's weird. I wonder what the uh, defamation suit was all about. Uh, I know Courtney Love's a really controversial figure. Uh, I'm a big Nirvana fan. I know a lot of Nirvana fans kind of resent her. They th did she partially she partly responsible for you know. Uh, Kurt Cobain blowing his own brains out. Um, and I, I am a big Nirvana fan. And I, oh, I, I know the rest of the band kind of went on as the Foo Fighters or whatever, right? And I, I said about Dave Grohl, eh, 
I, I never really cared for him. I thought he was the drummer of Nirvana, right? I, th- I thought he was fucking awesome as the drummer for Nirvana. But I never took to the uh, Foo Fighters. Uh, definitely a Kurt Cobain kind of guy. I like all that raw angst. Uh, and then, of course, there was a conspiracy theory that Courtney Love may have had an, a hand in, in uh, Kurt Cobain's quote-unquote murder. You know, the people have there's this conspiracy theory that may have been a murder, not a suicide. I know absolutely nothing about that. But I'd say I did, uh, I, I did like a lot of um, Courtney Love's music with her band Hole. Uh, Doll Parts, that was awesome. But anyway, who else we got? Anders Baring Brevik. Yeah, I could see why. <laughs> I could see why he may have been suspended. If if you're not aware, he, he's a, he was a mass murderer. He's the guy that uh, killed a bunch of children. Far right terrorist, perpetrator of the 2011 Norway attacks. All right, so let's see who else do I recognize here? Phil Mason, good old Thunderfoot. Uh description: atheist. An anti-feminist vlogger says he was suspended for use of abusive language towards Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm laughing just because that brings back memories. Um, I used to watch uh, Thunder Thunderfoot a lot. And if you're not familiar, he's actually, I mean, he's an actual scientist. Um, I forget what his specific field is but uh, i think uh he's a really smart guy um and he would actually you know on so during some of his videos he would do like scientific experiments stuff like that but he did have kind of like a bug up his ass about uh anita sarkeesian and this was during you know the whole kind of gamergate thing where you really had the uh the PC versus the anti-PC types. Political correctness, not personal computer. And uh, yeah, so you had the uh, the so-called, you know, the sarcastically labeled social justice warriors versus the, uh, the anti-social justice, you know, SJWs versus the anti-SJWs. And I remember it's kind of bizarre because a large portion of the quote-unquote skeptic community, um, you know, atheist YouTube content creators and whatnot, they kind of shifted away from, you know, taking on religion and producing, you know, kind of traditional or standard atheist content. And they, they shifted over to taking on PC culture. And, uh, you know, warring with the so-called uh, SJWs. And it's strange, you know, because I think a lot of atheists tend to be left-leaning. Uh, I remember I was at a party maybe half a year ago or something like that. And I was talking to, uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend who herself, you know, probably isn't religious, doesn't believe in organized religion or anything like that. And she has this very negative kind of stereotype in her head about what an atheist is, you know, and someone who's never really investigated, you know, what's behind the label or anything like that. And it was very bizarre, but she had this preconceived notion that atheists tended to be right-leaning, you know, politically right. And I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Because it's, you know, I feel like people's political views are often informed by their religious views. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, there does seem to be this overlap, you know, between atheism 
and kind of liberal politics or whatever, uh, us atheistic types tend to uh, be pro-choice. Uh, we don't have religious hang-ups about any of that stuff. We tend to want to safeguard against the encroachment of religion into politics. Um, uh, we don't have we don't have any religious hang-ups regarding homosexuality or anything like that. So usually we're pro uh, LGBTQ. Don't forget the Q. Uh, <laughs> rights. Has it gotten longer yet? Is it? Did they add anything after the Q? Uh, I'm I'm just kidding. This is kind of like an ongoing joke on the show. I'm, I'm very pro gay trans rights. Uh, but I used to like the j joke about how you know I'm lazy, and every time they add a new uh, letter to the acronym, it's it's more work for me. But yeah, it's kind of strange because the shift or focus went from, you know, traditional atheist content, uh, you know, like I said, tackling religion, creationism, stuff like that, to battling, you know, PC, political correctness culture or whatever. And there was this strange kind of marriage that formed or developed between the online atheist or skeptic community and um, kind of right-wing anti-political correctness culture or whatever. Uh, so something that, you know, at, at one point would have seemed rather unlikely, but yet nevertheless, you had this certain segment of the atheist community kind of becoming bedfellows with, um, with the far right, or at least, you know, kind of right-leaning people who focused on, you know, battling political correctness. And so, you know, once upon a time, and, and I think this is probably still true for, you know, the majority of the uh, quote-unquote atheist community, you know, if someone says they're an atheist, you can probably guess with a, a fairly, you know, decent success rate what, what their politics are. They're most likely pro-choice. Like I said before, they're probably, you know, concerned with trying to preserve the separation of church and state, keep uh, creationism and prayer out of schools. Uh, they're probably pro, you know, gay and trans community, things like that. Uh, but with this kind of segment of the online atheist community, you know, especially on YouTube, it can be sometimes, you know, things get kind of blurry. It can be, you know, there's a lot of people who will say they're left leaning, you know, except for uh, all this um, political correctness stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it, things get, get a little blurred. And me personally, uh, you know, I, I like to think that I'm kind of patting myself on the back here, that I've always had a kind of sensible, down-to-earth approach to, you know, the whole political correctness thing. Uh, when you, I'm someone who leans uh, very far left, but I'm also someone who believes in common sense and not trying to police others, you know, uh, speech or thoughts or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes it does get absurd when you have people who are overly obsessed with, you know, pronouns and what speech can be used and which speech is too, you know, harmful or triggering or whatever. Yeah, I start to get a little uncomfortable when things get too Orwellian, you know what I mean? But that being said, I just can't be bothered or, you know, just don't care enough to start making anti-SJW uh, content. 
On the one hand, it's simply because I just don't feel passionate enough about the subject matter. I don't feel driven enough to create content with that particular focus. Uh, I'd rather, you know, cover things that are kind of fall into the traditional atheist wheelhouse, you know, separation of church and state issues, that kind of thing, uh, battling superstition. And uh, I'd also rather, uh, you know, then my other focus is I like covering, you know, weird topics from history and things like that. Um, and then also it's because, you know, I have, even though they can drive me crazy sometimes too, these overly politically correct people, I feel like in a way, you know, we probably we're on the same side. I just take issue with their kind of overzealous approach and the embrace of all this kind of, you know, the new speak and all that, and you know, the, uh, thought and language policing or whatever. Um, so I don't feel enough that those people are my enemies to start making, you know, anti-social social justice content. And then it's strange, although it doesn't surprise me, you know, they label Thunderfoot, a.k.a. Phil Mason. Uh, is that the wrong way around? It may it sound like Thunderfoot is his Christian name. But anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, they label him an anti-feminist vlogger. And I don't know if that's quite fair, you know, I mean, because I think or I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt that there's a lot of these kind of anti-political correctness, these anti-SJW type people who are against, like I was talking about, this kind of thought and speech policing, this kind of Orwellian stuff. You know, they're against all that, but... At their heart, you know, there are still people who believe that women deserve all the same rights as men. And in a sense, they're probably traditionally feminist. They just might not be, I guess, what you would call third wave feminist, you know, feminists or whatever. Um, so in that sense, I don't know if, if it's necessarily fair or correct to label them as anti-feminist. They might be against, to reiterate, uh, be against a certain brand of feminism that has all this extra kind of political correctness stuff bundled up with it. But hopefully, uh, you know, as I hope would be the case with any decent person, they can still agree on, you know, the basic premise of women's rights and, and you know, equality for women. I would hope, you know. And yeah, so I remember Thunderfoot and Anita Sarkeesian used to be like mortal enemies. Pazuzu versus Lamashtu, if you will. There's a little Mesopotamian mythology. Been thinking a lot about Pazuzu recently. I don't know why. But <laughs> um, I'm coming off as very strange in this episode, I'm sure. But yeah, in the spirit of fairness, I have to admit, you know, I said earlier how Tim Pool makes my bullshit detector go off. So does Anita Sarkeesian. Uh, my gut has always told me that, you know, I don't know. She's not quite genuine or not like an honest actor. There's something off there. And uh, I remember she did like a whole series on video games. And I remember I just found her content like absolutely absurd. It took political correctness to just like, I don't know... To, to an absurd conclusion. It was like so absurd. I, I always wondered to myself if she actually believed what she was saying. 
You know, I mean, it's almost like she would just dig and dig and look for things that she could possibly interpret as being uh, sexist or toxic in video games. I remember there was a video game series I liked called Bayonetta. Uh, it was a Japanese video game series that was very similar to another series I like, uh, Devil May Cry. Uh, but I don't want to uh, nerd out on you too much, but... The main character, the character you play, is a very sexy witch called Bayonetta. Um, she's the protagonist of the story. I found it interesting, you know, as an atheist, someone who's uh, but also very interested in religion and mythology and stuff like that, uh, that in the world of Bayonetta, the witches and the demons they could summon were like the, the protagonists. They're like the force of good and freedom. And it was the heavenly forces. It was, you know, the celestial angels and stuff that were like the bad guys. The the enemy hordes were like these very grotesque and disturbing angelic beings, kind of monstrous to look at, but radiated light and covered in feathers and stuff. Uh, but neither here nor there. Anyway, so Bayonetta wore like a sexy tight black suit and... Uh, Anita Sarkeesian would, you know, she dedicated uh, an absurd amount of time to addressing um, how, you know, she thought Bayonetta was overly sexualized or whatever. I don't know. But in some stuff, I'm sure it was even more, far more absurd than that. But, uh, um, and it actually went to the, went so far that I remember, I think the Amazing Atheist covered it. Uh, she revealed her kind of ideal protagonist or video game role model and the example she gave was um a mobile game that the protagonist was basically a stick person you couldn't tell what what sex or gender it was or whatever it was literally literally a goddamn stick person <laughs> that was like her ultimate example of uh how um people should be portrayed in games to avoid any kind of sexism or whatever but anyway uh this is interesting it's kind of fun let's see who else is uh, you know in, in the list of suspended um public figures or whatever let's see godless spell checker atheist blogger and podcaster uh the suspension was oh it tells you if it was permanent and temporary okay um Let's see. So yeah, Thunderfoot suspension was temporary. Godless spell checker was temporary. What the heck? Repeatedly suspended for alleged targeted abuse or harassment. I don't think I've um, interacted that much with Godless spell checker, but I remember them from like day one when I first decided to, you know, create or launch my own atheist podcast. I I, I remember his name always being ar around. Uh, a member of ISIS, permanent, uh, making a death threat against uh, someone else. Okay, that, I'm on board. George Zimmerman, permanent, posting tweets containing revenge porn. Wow. So it wasn't just stuff related to um, the Trayvon, Trayvon Martin case. This was a, he's a double scumbag. He's posting revenge porn too. I don't know who the hell Chuck Johnson is. Um I'm just looking for names I recognize. Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, 
British polemicist and political commentator. I used to mention Milo on the show a lot. I used to say that politically, I was, you know, kind of diametrically opposed to him. Uh, you know, but I kind of, he was like a fun, entertaining figure. You know what I mean? He was just so kind of bright and flamboyant, you know? Uh, he was banned permanently, banned for insulting, Le oh, I remember this, banned for insulting Leslie Jones, coinciding with a, race, a racist harassment campaign. Yeah, so I remember all that. That had to do with the Ghostbusters reboot with the all-feminist cast that a lot of people took issue with. And people did, I think, go after Leslie Jones in like a really kind of ugly, you know, fashion. Um, I think it was Shoe on Head who, you know, Shoe on Head identifies as, uh, as a lefty, but she's also anti-political correctness and all that. I think she actually compared Leslie Jones to a gorilla. I'm like, from one white person to another, whether you're against political correctness or not, one thing you might want to try to avoid is comparing black people to apes. Technically, we're all apes. We're homo sapiens. We're great apes. You know, part, part of the great ape family. But given, you know, the history of racism in this country and how black people used to be depicted, literally depicted as apes, might want to avoid it. Uh, let's see. I don't know if she did that on Twitter. I think she did that in a YouTube video. So I don't, I mean, do I think she should lose her YouTube channel or, you know, Twitter account? No, probably not, you know, but I'm just saying kind of still kind of ugly, regrettable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, let's see. Uh, Tila Tequila. What'd she do? Making neo-Nazi posts, including a photo of herself and others attending, uh, attendees rendering a Nazi salute at an event of the White Nationalist National Policy Institute. Okay. And um, you guys know that I'm a fan of the Drunken Peasants podcast. And they have like a crazy people segment where they cover these really unhinged people who have YouTube channels. And one of them is her. And she has really spiraled out of control. My guess is that she legitimately suffers from mental illness. Um, she seems absolutely delusional, disconnected from, uh, from reality. Seems to literally have some kind of messianic complex where she thinks she's like uh, either the embodiment of God on earth or that she's the wife of Jesus Christ or both those things conflated somehow. Really crazy. Jack Dorsey. Jack, Jack Dorsey was temporarily... <laughs> Okay, so I don't have my contacts in. So I'm wearing my glasses around the house. And I just literally had to take off my glasses. Jack Dorsey was uh, suspended from Twitter. <laughs> it says, after restoring his account, Dorsey tweeted the suspension was due to an internal, an internal mistake. Okay, so it was due to some kind of stupid technical error, but still the irony isn't lost. Richard Spencer, we all probably know who he is, uh, alt-right leader. Uh, when Trump was first running, you know, the first time around, uh, running for president, um, 
Spencer famously did like a zig heil at some kind of white nationalist meeting and shouted uh, or chanted, hail Trump, hail our people. Uh, but it says he wasn't necessarily suspended technically for his racist worldview or viewpoints. He was uh, technically suspended for using multiple <laughs> Peter Brady, <laughs> channeling Peter Brady, uh, <laughs> Allegedly for using multiple overlapping accounts. Okay. Oh, then we have Martin Shkreli, a.k.a. the Pharma Bro. Uh, that was the guy who supposedly got bagged, for, you know, kind of publicly pilloried for um, supposedly grossly in, inflating the, uh, the cost of a certain medicine. And it's funny, uh, on The Drunken Peasants, one of the hosts, Billy the Fridge, uh, he, an ongoing joke, but it's actually true, is that he's friends with just kind of like a rogues gallery of hated people. And he's literally friends with Martin Shkreli. He used to do like online like chats and crap like that, uh, you know, with him. And they got to know each other pretty well, you know, before all this uh, happened. Um, Martin Shkreli banned per is he was permanently banned suspended for sexual harassment of journalist lauren duca i i have no idea i didn't know about that let's see al jazeera arabic temporary reason unknown and so uh, a lot of these people who did kind of suffer and incur, you know, temporary or permanent suspensions were kind of, you know, right-leaning people. But Al Jazeera, I wouldn't necessarily paint them as a friend of the American right. You know what I mean? I think if anything, I haven't heard, you know, Al Jazeera even mentioned in a long time, but used to hear about them a lot when, you know, terrorism was constantly in the news. Uh, I, I think, especially Al Jazeera America, I would think people on the right would kind of think of them as almost like a Trojan horse type of uh, outfit. You know what I mean? Trying to sneak, uh, you know, Islam, Islamic culture or Islamic sympathies into, you know, American culture or whatever. Oh, and then we have Anthony Cumia. He's uh, Anthony from Opian Anthony, right? Uh, let's see. Permanent. Account permanently suspended for alleged harassment involving transsexual men's rights activist Katie Reif. Since then, Kumia has activated several new accounts which were subsequently permanently suspended as well in 2018-2019. And Anthony Kumia is known for being, you know, really caustic and abrasive uh, at times. Kind of like, uh, like Jesus accused me of being <laughs> to bring things full circle. But anyway, um, I have no idea who Katie Reif is. I never, uh, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but says she, let me look at this again. Says she's a transsexual men's rights activist. And I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Is she an activist for transsexual men? Or... Is she a men's rights activist who happens to be trans? I don't know. I, it's a mystery to me. And um, I just, so I think they actually weren't even fighting over politics or political correctness or anything. I guess she's also a writer and she wrote something about 
how Sirius got rid of, you know, the last remnants of the Openy, Openy, Openy and Anthony show. I can talk of the Openy and Anthony show by firing Opie. And I guess that triggered Anthony Cumia. And I don't even know if I should read that. It's characteristically caustic. He says, hey, at future schlock, future schlock, I guess that's her kind of pen name or the name she writes under or whatever, or the name of her social media account. Your inaccurate shit piece on Opie's Opie's firing is almost as embarrassing as a fat old trans looking, I don't even know if I should fancy this as bad, looking twat with period red hair. Wow. Wow. What has happened to my podcast? Where is this all going? I don't know. Uh, Anyway, let's continue. Who else? David Duke, white supremacist, association with the Unite the Right rally, uh, temporary. So one thing, I know there's a lot of people complaining about, you know, a left-leaning bias on Twitter. So far, a lot of these bans are uh, temporary. Um, let's see. So it's not like they're per- trying to permanently silence people, you know what I mean? And a lot of these people, I know it might not be um, the most charitable way to look at it. But like some of these people, I mean, at least for the time being, Twitter is a business. You know, stock-wise, they're a public company, but they're still a, a business. They're not a public utility. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over people like David Duke or Richard Spencer temporarily losing their Twitter accounts. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of people have been arguing for a long time now that something like Twitter should be deemed or turned into a a public utility, that it's become such an effective staple, you know, or vehicle uh, for, for free speech and, you know, free expression, that it should be turned into a utility, something kind of, you know, managed by the government and not, uh, you know, left in the hands or control of some business or corporation that might, you know, have some kind of unfair political bias. And I honestly don't know, you know, I, I don't know what the criteria is, you know, traditionally or specific. We're not, we're kind of uh, in new territory here, virtual territory. I was going to say, I don't know what traditionally constitutes a a utility. That well, There's some things that are necessary to life, you know, like we need water. And, of course, and uh, you know, in the wake of the invention or uh, discovery of electricity, uh, people now deem electricity as a necessary staple or whatever. So that's a utility. Uh, same thing with phones, etc. And I know this is probably a kind of selfish or myopic view, but I was going to say, me myself, if I wasn't a podcast host, uh, you know, if I didn't use Twitter once or twice a week to announce, you know, the the release of a new episode or, you know, maybe to share a new story I think people might find interesting, uh, I probably, it would be like Twitter wouldn't even exist for me. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for the podcast, I probably wouldn't even have a Twitter account. 
You know, I mean, but I know that's not the way everyone feels. There's other people, and I know I probably sounded pretty dismissive earlier when I was kind of having that meltdown, <laughs> saying that, you know, I'm not someone that lives on Twitter or whatever. Um, I mean, like other social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, they can be really effective ways to get your opinion out there, you know, and to engage others in conversation and debate. Uh whether that alone merits, you know, that something should be turned into a utility, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm open to hear, you know, arguments from either side. And I think there's probably a lot of people out there, like Russ Gabriel, Gabriel, that um, person who reached out to me, you know, uh, via the Weekend Out Facebook page, who, as they see it, that there's been this long lingering problem of left-leaning bias on social media particularly twitter and you know account suspensions and stuff like that and they think that oh wow you know the day has finally come trump's going to you know do something about this you know what i mean but when you look at it what trump's exec first of all i think legal experts are saying it's very doubtful that this executive order will realistically gain any traction or, or whatever. You know what I mean? But even if it did, that, and I think some re Republicans are actually splitting with Donald Trump on this specific topic, and they view it as a kind of setting a dangerous precedent. Because what this executive order aims to do is it, it would lift the protections, the kind of shield corporations from being for from being legally responsible for what users of their platforms say. You know what I mean? And I'm no legal expert, you know, but something clicked in my head when I heard that. And I'm, the first thing that occurred to me is like, well, couldn't that make right-leaning platforms also responsible and open them up to potential legal action as well. And I know you might be saying, well, there's not necessarily a right-wing equivalent of Twitter. You know what I mean? Um, but I think I heard people say it could end up applying to, you know, right-leaning or conservative websites that allow user comments and things like that. And this really does seem, you know, less about free speech and more about Trump's personal vindictiveness and his ego. Because I'm also thinking it's like, well, wouldn't that open Twitter up not just to being legally responsible for what left-wing people say, but what right-wing people, you know, people that, you know, glorify Trump and who align themselves with him politically? Uh, it's kind of, I wonder if he intentionally meant that so like even like a, a right-wing person could end up you know bringing twitter down you know with <laughs> if you know if they get uh inundated in lawsuits or whatever i, I don't it's, the whole thing's weird and I, I was i was about to say it wasn't well thought out i think that's because and I, this isn't an ad hom but i think it's char probably characteristically trumpian but yeah probably wasn't well thought out you know i mean and it is about his own ego and uh, wanting to 
bite back at Twitter, you know? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, yeah, it is about his ego. If you think about it, he didn't lose his Twitter account. They didn't delete his tweets. What was their big transgression? They added a fact check link uh, so people could try to verify if what he was saying was true or whatever. You know what I mean? And like I was saying earlier, I'd like to see fact checking across the board. Uh, Maybe, you know, kind of baked into the cake somehow. And especially with world leaders and people who have a lot of influence. Yeah, I I think uh, they should be fact-checked. I think, you know, it would be cool if they had some little symbol, a little drop-down thing you could click on that we would start to see more and more on, you know, various tweets that, you know, you hit it and you see a list of links to reputable sites, uh, you know, even maybe even multiple links if in case someone thinks a, a certain link is, you know, biased or whatever. Uh, just some kind of built-in fact-checking system. I think that would be pretty cool, man. And there's just no way I'm going to end up getting around to, you know, the riots and protests and uh, my thoughts on the death of George Floyd. I actually actually had an almost complete episode, uh, a scripted episode, uh, you know, where I offer my thoughts on the kind of inherently tense relationship between law enforcement and the public and how when you add racial tensions to that and histories, you know, a history of police abuse and whatnot, uh, you, you basically end up with a powder keg. But um, I don't know, maybe I'll include some of that next week. Maybe I won't. But as always, thanks for listening, guys. And my apologies if I was a bit too, you know, hostile or whatever, a bit too aggro when I had that meltdown earlier. Uh, Thank you for listening, as always.